Hello and welcome to Definitions, the podcast where we crack the lid of the coffin on death, dying, and all the morbid morsels in between. Before we go any further, halt and take heed. These are your words of warning. I will be discussing topics of a deathly nature that may be upsetting to some, including this episode, discussions of suicide and grisly murders. If you're not in the right headspace to get down and dirty with the maggots today, then that's fine. I totally get it. Sometimes you'd rather dig into cake and a good romance novel than a freshly dug grave. Now's your time to save yourself. If you're still here, I'll assume you've got your shovels at the ready because today I'm talking to the wonderful Blessing Adams about her book, Great and Horrible News. Have we always loved true crime? What is it about murder and misdeeds that have kept us hooked through the ages? And what was our early modern ancestors' take on suicide? What was the role of the coroner in early modern society? If your ears perked up at any of these questions, you're in luck. We'll be discussing all of this and more, so let's get stuck in. Hi, how are Wonderful. you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm very well. But you know I'm very well. How are you? I'm all right. I'm not too bad. It's been really sunny up here in Scotland, which is really nice. Um, I don't know what the weather's doing where you are. It's shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it's, really, it's really cold. <laughs> it's so cold. It's yeah, We've been having such awful weather. It's supposed to be nice down south, but yeah, no, rubbish. <laughs> oh, no. That's... Yeah, it's um, it's it's humid up here at the moment. So like, I, I mean, in Scotland you get above like fourteen degrees, and it's like taps off, and everyone's you know, everyone's all the guys have got their shirts off. Not everyone. Um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't take our shirts off in the south. <laughs> no, no, prim and proper down there. It's just the Scots, uh, especially the the Leithers as well. <laughs> um. But we're not here to talk about the weather. Um, we're here to talk about your amazing, wonderful, brilliant book. Um, we've got twin proof copies. Um, yeah. <laughs> which is amazing. I was wondering if, um, if you wanted to start off by just sort of saying a little bit about the book itself and giving us a little sort of rundown um, on, on the book, a little introduction. Yes, so um, Great and Horrible News, Murder and Mayhem in Early Modern Britain. Um, I explore nine true crime cases of, uh, of murder and violent death in the early modern period. Um, and each case I'm really interested in diving down into a bit more of sort of like the legal and social history of the everyday men and women in this period uh, when they were confronting death in all of its violent and tragic forms. So. Yeah, a, a bit of a, a bit of a, a true crime history number. This one, <laughs> which I feel like is is the perfect sort of mashup at the moment. I think everyone's sort of getting really interested in the, this kind of thing. I feel like you've picked like the perfect moment for this book. 
but I'm really interested in because the, the book specifically focuses on the early modern period and so I'm really fascinated by what fascinates you about that specific period of history and why you chose to, to sort of focus on crimes and, and, and death um, in that period. It's such a fascinating period of history. So the, the cases I read about, they're, they're in between the time period about 1500 to 1700, so about a 200 year period. Um, and an awful lot happens in, in this particular time. We've got the rise and fall of the houses of the Tudors and Stuarts. Um, you have the Protestant Reformation, you have the Counter-Reformations, um, you, have, you have wars, you have plagues. There's, there's so much going on. These absolutely enormous um, events that, that uh, are, are so formative, not just to our own nation, mm. but sort of like to the whole of Europe. Um, so much going on, but at the same time, you know, you, you just have people who are very similar to you and me, just living their normal lives and getting along as best they can doing these <laughs> extraordinary events. So, um, <laughs> so I, I am drawn to this time period because it's so fascinating and there's so many amazing and transformative things happening. But as well, I just think it's really interesting because I I, I want to know more about the, the people, sort of mm. like just the everyday people. I find that a lot of a lot of history that I've read in this period tends to focus on kings and queens, courtiers. Yeah. Um, what you what people would say is you no, know, the the important people of history. <laughs> um, so it's it's quite fun to get down and dirty with them. Um, I'd have been a commoner if I was born in oh, this day. Oh so yeah, I same, hundred percent. Um, yeah. <laughs> I I would have been like a farmer. I, I would have been, yeah. <laughs> I think I think that's that's the most fascinating thing. I think it's really interesting what you were saying about um, people who were living through these like crazy times and upheavals. And it's like sure, like you have the people, the, the kings and queens, and these days we have the politicians. And obviously we're living through things that we'll look back on in fifty years and go, oh, that was that was really weird that we lived through that. And now it's considered like a, an important sort of historical moment as well. So I think in some ways it's it's sort of relatable, perhaps like that period to now um as well um within the book obviously it's all based around sort of crime and the criminal justice system which i know is sort of where your area of interest is and it's working on the coroner system which is something that well if, if you're in england and, and wales you still use the coroner system today in scotland we have the procurator fiscal um which is not so different just sort of scottish jargon um but i think a lot of people don't necessarily understand how that works and obviously that was sort of the beginning of it as well so i'm sort of interested um to know your thoughts sort of on that system and where it came from and and, and how it worked back then versus how it works now because i know you're sort of intimately familiar with um both sides of the coin uh, in that respect Yes, so, um, I mean, the, the coroner is an ancient office going back to the medieval period. Mm. I'm not such an expert on the medieval coroner. Mm. Um, it, it was much more of a, a... Although the coroner investigated deaths in that period, it, it was much more sort of like for a revenue-gathering purposes. Mm. Um, after the after the Norman conquest of, uh, of 1066, you had a lot of Frenchmen 
moving into the country and uh, what be to you if you have a, friend, a dead Frenchman show up in your community um, and it was it was if, if you were found to have had a, dead, a Frenchman murdered in your community then you'd have to pay a fine so um, it, it was imperative for the coroner to investigate these deaths and to um, and sort of like sort out you know what what's going on who is this dead person in your community of course that's a role that changes over time so when we get to my particular period the, the coroner's not interested in, in if the corpse is french or not um, <laughs> he's, he's more interested in in just discovering the cause of death so the coroner would investigate all um unnatural um sudden or violent deaths which mm. is pretty much what they they do today as well yeah. um the and these deaths would have included um suicides as well accidents as well as murders um misadventure um he, he would have looked into everything um and and then he had sort of like a broader range of duties as well so the uh, the, the coroner also investigated he was part of the criminal investigation side of things as well um he could question suspects he could detain suspects um he could seize property um he had sort of like a much broader range of duties than mm. the coroner does today, um, mu much more involved in the broader investigation. But but as well, the the inquest was an important step in in the uh, the, the process of investigating and prosecuting people for their for, for murder. Um, and and just to stay sort of like the, the the verdict of the coroner's inquest would then move on into the courts into, into trials and court systems and things like that so yes um the, the coroner was very much the, the same but in many ways very different it's quite, quite a wishy-washy answer that one sorry about that <laughs> <laughs> that's all right i just i think he's sort of um i suppose i say he because that's who who would have been the coroner um back in those <coughs> days just sort of it takes up a very sort of specific place in the book where he's present in in every story but it's never really yeah, yeah, about the, the, him the coroner's still in, oh sorry no no go on go on <laughs> i, I, I want to jump in um, the i think the coroner is so visible um in these particular stories is because i i lean so heavily on coroner's records and coroner's mm. reports um these are these are because the other the thing is when you're um, researching crime and criminal investigation of this particular period, you're sometimes very limited by the, um, the the manuscripts and the documents that have survived. Some of these documents are, you know, 400 years old. Um, a lot has been lost over time um, by bureaucracy, um, destroyed, stolen, just 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 sort of like decimated. <laughs> Um, sort of like genre that was going around at the time so uh, 
it, it's it's one of those wonderful um, primary sources that survives in all manner of ways. So yes, he he shows up a lot because uh, he he left a lot of records behind. He does, <laughs> and he pops up, and I can only imagine that diving into those records is it sounds like the best time. Um, just getting lost in those, <laughs> I, I'd be right there I'm, with you. <laughs> I'm such a morbid person because before I wrote this book, I was um, working on my PhD and it was quite dry. I was reading the notebooks of law students at the Early Modern Inns of Court. So I was dripping around lots of various legal archives mm. and um, I, I got bored and I got tired of looking at lawyers' notebooks. <laughs> so I'd start going through the catalogues and I'd just start looking for murder and, <laughs> and assault and death and crime because I'm, I'm a bit strange and I'm, I have a, a you know I'm morbidly curious these things fascinate me you're in um, the perfect so, place <laughs> yeah why not why not if, you, if you're sitting there you've got a few hours to kill between whatever work you're doing so I would call up these boxes of uh, inquest records and um, start flipping through them and the way some of them are organized because it, it can be a real headache to work with early modern documents from the early modern period they can be quite fragile or they could just be a complete mess and it can be really hard to, to pry them apart and work with them but um, a lot of the coroner's inquest documents are just glorious they're sort of like these little leaflets that you can just flip through almost like a little finding system and on the front of each one it will say um, who died and how they died and it's just sort of like okay so you've got drowning 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 fire Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> too many drownings they're boring we don't want those yeah. I, you you briefly um, touched there as well on the sort of the true crime pamphlets, which I know is another source that you really um, pulled from, and I'm fascinated by, and and I think the people who listen to this podcast as well will be fascinated by because they're not so different to um, you know your true crime magazines today, really, or, or or even like a true crime blog, or even maybe a TikTok, something like that. Um. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, especially sort of like drawing uh, the comparisons with magazines and and online as well, because um, sometimes you'd find that the people who are writing these these true crime pamphlets uh, or these true crime chapbooks, they would some somebody would print one. I've got the true scoop of what happened <laughs> in this particular case, and then someone else would print their own one saying no i've got the true scoop so there was sort of like pe people were also sort of like there, there was um there was reply 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 so there was sort of like that that sense of um that not i would say it's like online where people are reading and replying to each other but that was happening in a more rudimentary form in the early one period but to dial it back so yes just to talk about the uh, the true crime pamphlets being the true crime magazines today they they really were so um like us, the early moderns were absolutely fascinated with the true crime and murder. Um, it was something that was really concerning to them. Uh, murder was rare in the early modern period. Uh, people people get the impression that history was a bit more of a murder fest than it is now, but <laughs> murder was comparatively rare. Most, most sudden and violent deaths were uh, accidents mm. um, or, or, or you know misadventure, um, things like that. So. But, but that wasn't necessarily, the, the, the rarity of murder wasn't necessarily reflected in the, the print media of the time. Mm. Um, it became a bit of a, a, an obsession. People were frightened of murder. They yeah. thought there was a, a crime epidemic in their communities. Um, if a terrible murder happened, people would become 
paranoid or afraid that this was going to happen to them. So it fed on the fears, and that's why it was also such a popular genre because people like to be afraid. They like to whip themselves up a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah. They do today if they did then. So, um, that, and the sorts yeah. of crimes that people. Oh no, no, go ahead. Go no, ahead. I was just going to say that is that's so fascinating because like we are technically living in one of the safest periods of history, but people don't believe <clears> it because. We love to sensationalise crime. Um, you know, some people go as far as sort of glorifying things like serial killers, but I think, you know, pulling back from that way, generally speaking, people just, you know, people get a thrill from reading about this stuff because it's exciting, you know, to read about it. It's uh, also, you get like flooded with euphoria that it's not happened to you or someone that you know. Um, so that that's really interesting. and. Of course, though, it would have been just a more dangerous time to live. I mean, illnesses, just sort of when people are working day to day, it would have been more dangerous as well. So that's really interesting that most of the time it would have been accidental. Yes. So when a murder comes along, everyone's like, oh my God, it wasn't just an accidental <laughs> giant stone this time. Or <laughs> Have you ever heard of the Bills of Mortality? No, I haven't. So this was a, a, a regular publication um, that was read voraciously and it essentially was um, a, a list of who, how many people died and of what <laughs> in the community. So you would, you would get your, I, I don't know how regularly they were printed but they're absolutely amazing to look at. They've got these um, wonderful woodcut illustrations usually around the border of skeletons and skulls and mm. bones and they're just lists in the middle um, of um, crushed by masonry, seven people, uh, you know, um, killed, by horse, killed by horse and cart, 12 people, killed by disease and, and it would just be lists like um, who, how, who died of what this month. Um, so people were really, really interested in, in what people were dying of. Yeah. Um, murder was a relatively small number, mm. um, but yeah, it, it was a fascination. I, I, I shudder to think if the Bills of Mortality were printed today, <laughs> what, what, it would come what, up with. what some hypochondriac friends of mine would be like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I, I mean, it's fascinating and I love the fact that humanity has obviously loved a good list since we were yeah. able to write them. Um, I mean, literally, like, if you go for, as far back as the Bible, like, what's the Ten Commandments, but just, like, a good old list. Um, oh, yeah, but that makes me happy. as well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is amazing. Uh, th there's one particular story that sort of lives rent-free in my head and has since I read it, and it's the story of... Um, it is... Let me just get to the right page in the book. The Mutilation of Francis Marshall. Now, this one just... <laughs> It just, there's so many reasons why it, it, it is kind of awful and amazing and um, uh, I mean like, I, I don't want to give too much away for anyone who, who reads the book but it's it's a case of um, fella de say self-murder which you talk about a lot in the book but this one well that's the question actually isn't it it's like is it a case of that or is it not but it's more what happens afterwards which is um, mad to me, especially because I, I work with the deceased, I work with people who've moved on and their families, um, so the idea of, of what could push you to do something like this, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about it, I'm trying to talk around it, but still. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's fine, I'm happy to talk about it. So this 
Um, and in this period, suicide was a felony offence. Um, now, the person who had committed suicide couldn't be punished, they were already dead. Um, mm. Their bodies were desecrated as punishment, they were denied Christian burial, but their families were punished as well with something called felony forfeiture. And what this essentially meant was that is if your family member committed suicide, then all the goods and chattels belonging to that person would be forfeit to the crown. If the person committing suicide was the head of the household, then all the people who stood to inherit are, com are now cast into poverty. Everything they would have inherited is gone. Um, and um, it's not just the house and the money, it's everything, right down to the last brass tack is taken. And that was one of the duties of the coroner as well, is he would have to catalogue and then confiscate all the goods. So imagine that you have found, you know, the, the, the father of your family lying face down dead in a pond and then people immediately start whispering, it looks like he's killed himself. There's a real danger, your life is going to be ruined, utterly destroyed by this accusation. Mm. So what the family of Francis Marshall do is, knowing that the coroner is on his way, they decide to stage this, at the moment it's, the cause of death is unknown, but they decide to stage it to look like a robbery. So what they do is they mutilate the corpse of Francis Marshall, um, and they do it in quite a, a brutal um, way. Mm. I describe it in some detail in the book, and there's some detail as well that comes from the inquest report of the condition of the corpse after they've finished brutalising it. Um, it's very difficult, it's, it's, sorry, it's very easy for um, you to read this account and immediately recoil in horror at the actions of this family. Mm. But if you really stop to think about it and you think, what was at risk? And what it must have cost them emotionally to have done done this to the body of their loved one. In fact, they loved this man. Mm. Um, so it's it's quite a strange story. Um, the the coroner shows up and he is immediately suspicious. And um, the, the the chapter continues where the family are then um, taken to the court of star chamber um, by the king's almoner, who would have been the man that would have profited from the receiving the goods from mm. felony forfeiture. So yes, the, quest, the question in this in this case is: Did Francis Marshall commit suicide? You know, you have to you have to read and make up your own mind about that. But as you say, it's fascinating the re the reaction of the family and what they were driven to by these what I believe were incredibly unjust laws yeah. that were punishing the families of people who had committed suicide. And um, I mean, in your work, you 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 must have confronted um, families experiencing grief mm. in, a, in a whole range of different ways and I imagine some of those expressions of grief could have been quite shocking quite hard to mm -hmm. understand but you know no, none of them it, have been that difficult. level yeah. <laughs> luckily none of them have done that um yeah. yeah it's I I think to me that the way that I read and sort of um uh, took the the series of events was that he'd essentially sort of just had a heart attack or some probably some kind of aneurysm or cardiac event and he just he just keeled over really or because uh, you sort of talk about how he's sort of in in like a shallow puddle um, or whether he'd had some kind of stroke or something had the misfortune to um, have fallen into shallow water and then possibly drowned um, and yeah I I think you just you're so rooting for the families in this and it's like it's really odd that like I'm rooting for a family that's mutilating their dead loved one but yeah <laughs> no you're absolutely right. yeah 
I agree with you as well. Like I, I, I also think that he just had some sort of, mm. you know, massive event, and then just yeah. But he was an old man. He was in his seventies. Yeah, um, yeah. And and yeah, it, it's shocking to me that the coroner didn't really give that any consideration, which makes me feel like there was some corruption going on. Um, it feels like there's something he, he underlying his, it. Yeah. yeah. Cause he, cause yeah, it, he was pushing yeah. for a verdict. Because when, when we're talking about the coroner earlier, it's like he's a character, but he, he doesn't often feel sort of swayed to one side in the way that you sort of write about him. But in that one in particular, he's got an agenda. You know, he, he wants what that family have. And I, I don't know, in some ways, they kind of almost seem to make it worse for themselves by trying to save themselves. It's just, if, if you know... Read it if you wanna. <laughs> if, if if you wanna <laughs> yeah. like get into it and, and make up your own mind and and it will probably live in live in other people's heads as as long as it you know as, as many months as it's um, been living in mine um, as well. Um, I I've got to ask. There's so many brilliant stories in the book. Are there any that didn't quite manage to make the cut that you would have loved to go in but just sort of didn't didn't get in there? Yes, that there were there were quite a few stories um, that I, I there was one that initially was going to be the final chapter of the book, um, and it was a it was about lovers lovers suicide. Um, I really wanted to explore the idea of because I write about suicide quite a lot in this book, mm. and I really wanted to explore more the idea about um, the re- the reasons people commit suicide, and I wanted mm. to delve into this case of lovers suicide, but as all so often happens is, is that I'll find some partial pieces of evidence that begin the story, but then I might hit a wall or I might hit a dead end, or I, I do get a nice rounded idea of the, the events that happened, but it's just simply not enough to sustain the chapter. Mm. So this is why I eventually uh, went for The Drowning of John Temple for the final chapter of the book. And in that chapter, I, I explore sort of like the, the other sort of like the more complex attitudes towards suicide in this period yeah. um, and and the, 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 the various reasons, the, the motives behind why people would commit suicide. Um, but yeah, it's it's difficult because um, it's, it's a hard period of history to work with sometimes because it can be very fragmentary mm. and it can be very difficult to follow a story from start to finish. And there are some stories in this where I, I can't really say what happened because the records just don't survive. Yeah. But I still feel like they're a satisfactory read because you could kind of like try and draw your own conclusions. If there is a mystery at the end, then so be it. But yeah, it, it, it can be difficult. And there are also a bunch of um, other stories that I really wanted to tell, but I felt like there might have been some similitude between them. So I wanted to try and have a bit more of a varied selection of stories in there as well. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I, I mean, the the fellow to say the suicide does does come up a lot and it's so starkly different to how we think about it now. In fact, even sort of the, the notion that it's, it's something that sort of happens to you but not necessarily sort of because of you because of sort of other factors we sort of take that for granted now i think whereas it's like they so squarely lay the blame um on on people and i i don't know in some ways i can totally see how 
grief might actually even in in some cases lead to that especially if you've got a family where if it's the father if it's if it's the main breadwinner really you're going to leave your family in poverty you know that's sort of like how could you do this to us the absolute anger um, and also the kind of social responsibility because you know as a man you're expected to sort of take that on anyway um, and so yeah from my own work I can kind of see how that anger could be really channeled into this idea that no it's your fault and you're responsible for it but then the idea of it rolling over onto yeah. the rest of the family is just sort of mind-boggling but were you surprised to find that so many of the stories that you came across were situations of suicide or suspected suicide yes so just just quickly going back because you said in your own work you sort of like in your experience the mm. the, the anger is a response i agree because um, when i was working in the police i dealt with a lot of suicides at the scene yeah. and i think anger is an entirely natural and very common response and guilt uh, because of the anger. Yeah, yeah. As, as I, I, you know, I, I should be more forgiving. I should be more understanding. Um, <laughs> that's something that it's easy to say. You know, one step removed from the tragedy of the loved one committing suicide. So yeah, I'm with you. It's um, it, it's a it's a response that I saw a lot when I was yeah. dealing with suicides in the police. But the the way they thought about suicide in any one period, it it really wasn't like that. It was much more um, uh, the the idea that this wasn't. This wasn't a crime of um, a mental disorder or even a crime of selfishness or anything like that. Yeah. It was, this is an evil crime against God. You are offending God. So it was very much thought of as a spiritual offence. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it was, and the reason I write about um, suicide so much is because the only ones who got obsessed with it, the sheer amount of the <laughs> materials that were just banging on about suicide. And it's hard sometimes to think about because it's, it's not such a big, hot issue to us in modern day society. Yeah. Well, no, 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 I, I, I don't mean that in that particular thing. Suicide is a big issue. It's, it's, it's one of the, it is, I think, the main cause of death amongst um, males. But it's not talked about. No one yeah. really cares about it. it yeah. it's, it's not things that are getting discussed in the media. Um, in the early modern period, people were massively concerned with suicide. It was thought to be one of, one of the things that was pulling society apart. And it was, um, it was written about so much because people cared about it so much. Yeah. Um, we care about other things now. We, we, we devote our column inches to, to things that are completely different to what the early moderns devoted their column inches to. Yeah. So yes, I mean, I, I was surprised when I first started researching crime in the early modern period. I kept thinking to myself, what's the deal with suicide? <laughs> and I, ju I just had to I just had to take some time out and really yeah. read and read and sort of like just learn more about why the early moderns were so obsessed with suicide. It's, it's fascinating. I could talk to you about this literally all day um, and probably all night as well, but um, we've got we've to have a cut-off point at some point. But before you go, I'm really interested in what are you working on right now? Where can people find you? Um, what's coming up for you? So at the moment, I'm working on my second book, um, it's pretty much the same thing. I'm writing about true crime, <laughs> but the, uh, the cases are specifically about women. So women as killers, women as suspected killers. Um, also, also often, I think, histories about women and crime are a search for victims, and women are 
spoken about as victims. Yeah. So I'm quite interested into diving into the history of women as villains um, or suspected villains. So yes, that's what I'm writing out at the moment. Love a female um, villain. Um, I will be at the front of the line to get a copy of that one. <laughs> awesome. And uh, yes, and then people, they can find me at um, blessinadams.com and I'm on Twitter as well at, at Adams underscore blessing. So they can find me there. <laughs> <laughs> and have you got anything, um, like, what what are you reading at the moment that you would recommend? What are you enjoying? Oh, well, here's my guilty confession. <laughs> In my downtime, I, I don't read crime. I read <laughs> trashy romance. Oh, absolutely. Go for it, please. What are you reading? <laughs> uh, well... I, I really like, there's an author called Alice Colbrand, she's an independent author as well, so uh, yeah. do check her out. She she writes um, medieval romances. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. I love her, she's, she's just had a brand new book out, so uh, yeah, that's, that's all I've heard, that's that, what I've just been finishing up. I love a bit of romance. <laughs> I think for anyone who reads the, this kind of um, non-fiction, like we all have, like for me I go for like really fluffy queer romance in between my sort of books about death. Um, you, you, you've got to sort of have a balance, you know, and I think when you read stuff that's so dark, you've got to have stuff that's then really light to sort of balance it out. But thank you so, so much um, for coming and, and chatting with me today. It's been absolutely wonderful. Um, and I hope that we can... Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, hopefully, maybe we can have another chat sometime soon. But um, until then, thank you so much. Um, thank you. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> so there you have it. Mayhem, murder and more in the early modern period. You can find Blessing's book, Great and Horrible News, in any good bookshop. Remember, support your local independence. And also as a top bestseller on Amazon. As we were talking about books that pull you up, if reading about the morbid stuff is bringing you down, I've listed in the show notes a few of my favourite comfort reads for when you just need something light and fun. And please head over to social media and tell me your own favourite comfort reads. If you are also a lover of the dark, the strange and possibly of cursed literature, join me over on TikTok and Instagram and Twitter at Definitions, where I also chronicle and recommend all of my favourite morbid books. If you have any thoughts to share about the podcast or your own impending mortality, drop them in the comments. Reviews and ratings go a long way in helping to get this podcast out there, and I greatly appreciate the support. I want to tell you guys about all this weird stuff as much as you want to hear about it. The more you let me know you're out there listening, the more I'm inspired to delve into the depths of the internet and my local library to bring you these twisted tales. The Definitions podcast is researched, written, and read by me, Jasper Chanter, with music provided by Zapsplat. Anyway, chop chop breaks over. Pick that shovel up. That grave's not going to dig itself. Bye-bye for now, listeners. Catch you on the other side.